How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jesse. Tim, how's it going, sir? You know, it's going pretty good. We got that episode of Wild Wild Weiss out the door, got to watch some some pretty good hockey and then some not-so-great hockey. And yeah, weather's been beautiful in Calgary, too, so no, we've had a fantastic week. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And it's great to hear that you've had a fantastic week because news broke today for many wrestling fans of the somber news of the passing of Reza Ramon, also known as Scott Hall, the age of 63. And the news broke over the weekend that he was recovering from hip surgery. And so he was recovering from that. He got blood clots. And as a result, he ended up suffering several heart attacks on Saturday was put into life support. The family unplugged him and he officially passed away. It was officially confirmed that he passed away about 20 minutes ago. And, you know, I, these last couple of days, this has been weird for me because again, like I look back when I first got into wrestling in the late nineties and it was one of those things where I didn't really know who Scott Hall was in WWE. Like I didn't really know what Razor Ramon was. I didn't know him in that era. I knew him as part of, I would go on record and say probably the single most important stable in wrestling, the new world order. That's how I remember him by. And it's one of those things where like the, the impact that Scott Hall left on wrestling, Tim, is one of those things where you even look at wrestling in 2022, where just the impact in general, and he was always widely considered to be one of the smartest minds in the business, even though casual wrestling fans wouldn't really appreciate him on that level. I think they could see him as, a character as an in-ring performer. But I mean, when you look at going back to the new world order, I mean, the new world order, I mean, that inspired so many stables that came after it. Obviously WWE responded with the generation X. They had the shield and, and of course in new Japan, you had bullet club, but any wrestler who ever worked with Scott, you know, had the, him in the highest regards from Steve Austin to Kevin Nash to, Eric Bischoff, and they always talk about how smart of a guy he was and just how if he could have had his shit together and could have stayed clean, you know, he could have ran a wrestling company. Like, he was that smart, and his mind for the business was so good. And you look at some of the things throughout the business, like he was the one that helped Diamond Dallas Page get over in at WCW. One of the big things for he, me was he was the one that came up with The Crow, for this for sting oh okay. because b- before that sting had this like blonde surfer dude look to him it was very dated and very cheesy but then once nwo hit and scott realized like okay well we're the antagonists we need a protagonist to this in the same way that hogan had andre austin had mcmahon and the rock nwo had sting right they needed their baby face. They needed their baby face. And it's one of those, like, I'm almost rambling here because I'm just, so many things are going through my mind. And obviously when I did get back into wrestling in my adult years, I rewatched, I watched the Scott Hall documentary on net on American Netflix. And when you see Razor Ramon, the character of Razor Ramon is one of those guys that just, it was so oddly dated 
and yet really fresh because at the time you just didn't see a character like this. And a lot of the characters, you know, was like the Randy Savages and Hulk Hogan's. They were so over the top with their loudness and their personality. And here comes Razor Ramon, who just looks like a bad guy right out of like an early nineties action movie, you know, and everything about it was unique. The gold chains were unique. The toothpick was unique. Just the way that he came to the ring was so different and, Nobody really saw that. And of course you get him in the ring with Shawn Michaels, where he had probably one of the best ladder matches in any pay-per-view for WWE anyway. And I understand that WCW and whatever kind of company was already doing those style of matches prior to him and Shawn doing that at WrestleMania 10. But for WWE fans, that was the first time we ever got to see that. We never saw that. And now of course, years later, you had like the three way at WrestleMania 17 with, yeah, Edge and Christian, the Hardys and Dudleys, even the latter matches that came after that. It was inspired by Sean and Scott at WrestleMania 10. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of cool to know that uh, just had that sort of influence on such a large organization. Absolutely. And he, unfortunately, a lot of what people remember about Scott Hall nowadays is his addiction and some of his personal demons, which he has been very, very open about. And I think, and I was thinking about this over the last couple of years, when you see celebrities or you see people in the public eye that pass away, you, you tend to dehumanize them. Yeah. You tend to only see them as what they are in the media, what they are in their field. You never think of them as, as the person and wrestling was no different. Like nobody thought of it when Shawn Michaels had his drug addiction when Scott Hall had his drug addiction, when all these guys were going through addiction problems, you tend to dehumanize them. It's like, oh yeah, these guys are wrestlers and that's the lifestyle, whatever. But you know, when you really think about it, like the abuse that they do to their bodies at night after night, it's just like, no wonder these guys got addicted to painkillers. Yeah, they're just doing so much. Yeah, and for Scott, it was one of those things where the story of sparked a lot of his issues came like before wrestling where he was a bouncer at a nightclub and this one of the workers came up to him and be like hey scott there's this guy breaking out of the windows in your car so he goes out into the parking lot he has a tussle with him but he pulls a gun scott wrestles the gun out of his hand and kills him yeah that'll do that'll do it to anyone yeah and that's a story that he was not open about that for years until you saw it with the resurrection of Jake the snake, which is a really good documentary, but it's so heartbreaking because you see what not only what Scott went through, but you see Jake, the snake, another guy who's had his PTSD problems. And if you ever saw the dark, dark side of the ring, they did a great episode on Jake, the snake's dad, which is so hard to watch because it's just like, Holy shit. Yeah. It's pretty bad. I can do it justice. Like it is, it's a pretty good episode. It's a heavy watch, but it's pretty good. So Honestly, I just wanted to give my thoughts on that, Tim, because honestly, it's such a heartbreaking... It's a watershed moment, right? It is. And, you know, like, I mean, what do I really say, right? I mean, what do you, what do you, what can you really say for somebody who had that kind of impact on professional wrestling? Well, it's just, he's going to be missed one way or another. He is. But I think the final comment I want to make here 
it was a comment that he made at his Hall of Fame induction, which was something that so many people never thought would ever happen because of his addiction problems, because his inability to stay clean. He was able to stay clean. He was able to go into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2014. And I'm going to read you the comment here of what he clo- what he closed out his speech with, because I think it's appropriate. Hard work pays off. Dreams come true. Bad times don't last, but bad guys do. So, Tim, even though I've spent all this time talking about wrestling, we do we got ourselves a great episode coming. We got... Sorry, we've got a great episode ahead of us. Sorry, you see me jumbling my words there. Yeah, yeah. But we got a great episode ahead of us. Obviously, we're going to have a really good cover athlete to talk about. we got lots of stuff to recap. But before we do anything, Tim, alert, 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 alert. Now, something of that, and I do apologize to him because I honestly forgot to mention this last week, that we are going to have a special guest co-host for March. March 28th, the return of Alex Metzger, the managing editor of Last Word and Puck and host of the Eminem Hockey Podcast, will be joining us as a guest co-host. Really looking forward to that, man. He's been a great guy. And obviously, when we had Jake Rivard, when we did our season preview show back in the fall, he gave us a really, really good review to him. So always yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, and Alex Metzger is always a good time. And uh, man, it's so nice just to have Easily shareable gifts, ready to go within minutes. It's it's invaluable. It really is, man. It really is. And he's so good for that. And we greatly appreciate it. We're going to have to talk with him about that when we get him on the show on March 28th. Yep. So segueing out of that, Tim. Now, like I said, we, could, we can always talk about Alex Metzger and all the great things he does. But that would be delaying the inevitable of talking about today's cover athlete, for season five, episode 22 in chronological order, episode 117, the Philip Kuba edition of the third line plug, Senskaz. So, just a little background about Philip Kuba. He was drafted 192nd overall by the Florida Panthers in 1995. He played parts of nine seasons with the Florida Panthers, Minnesota Wild, and Tampa Bay Lightning before being traded to the Ottawa Senators along with Alexander Picard and San Jose's first round pick for Andre Mazaros, where he would spend three seasons with Ottawa recording 14 goals. 102 assists for 116 points in 261 games. The Philip Kuba trade is such an interesting trade because Mazaros wanted out. And at the time it looked like your standard. Okay. A team pays for the quality player, but the team who gets the one player probably won the trade because they got the best player in the trade. But then Andre Mazaros's career just bottomed right out. And Ottawa ended up getting a very serviceable player in Philip Kuba, who for a few years at, near the end of his career, before he went to Florida for his the last year, he kind of became Eric Carlson's defensive consciousness. For a player who, a veteran guy who was perfectly average in all the fancy stats, you couldn't have asked for better and to get a first round pick and a pretty good prospect at the time in Alexander Picard. Oh, 100%. And it's funny that you did bring up Eric Carlson because while with with Carlson, everybody remembers him playing with Mark Mathot, but a lot of people will point to Philip Kuba as he really helped a very young Eric Carlson find his way in the NHL because Eric was seen as a bit of a gunslinger. Like he definitely had that mentality of take the pocket and go with it. 
yeah. regardless of who his defense partner was. Right. And obviously you can't do that at the pro game because, you know, you got to play structured hockey. You got to be really good. You're off in your own end. And Eric was more of a, eh, I'm offensive. It's fine. But when you have a Phil Kuba back there and Eric can rely on him, but he also has to tell Eric, he says, listen, you can't do this every shift. You got to, you kind of need to pick and choose what you're going to do. Yeah. So there's something very funny, just looking at some of these old graphs about Philip Kuba on uh, hockey viz, um, Micah Blake McCurdy site here. And you have four quadrants of how each player influences Philip Kuba. You have dull. So there's not a lot of goals against not a lot of goals for good. A lot of goals for not a lot of goals against bad. A lot not a lot of goals for a lot of goals against and fun. A lot of both. Eric Carlson drag everyone else. Philip Kuba's like smack dab center in the middle of this rap. Mm-hmm. Eric Carlson pulls Philip Kuba strongly to the goals for and slightly into fun. It's just this incredible picture. I'm just, and it's, if anyone has a hockey biz subscription, just look at this picture because it's, it speaks so much to how Philip Kuba and Eric Carlson were just very different players. Now, when speaking about pictures of Philip Kuba, Tim, you may have noticed on the Third Line Plug Twitter page, at Third Line Plug, that when we announced that Philip Kuba was going to be our cover athlete, I used a picture of him wearing a specific jersey. Oh, yeah. You, you mean a very good jersey? Well, I wouldn't say a very good jersey, but I'm going to bring something up here, Tim. If you give me one second here, because honestly, even though we're an audio podcast, not a video podcast, this is important. It's appropriate to bring this up and you can actually share with the listeners what I'm going to show you right now. And that is a 2009-2010 Ottawa Senators alternate jersey, the black and white Super Nintendo jersey. Yep. It's beautiful. I love it. And you know what? I never noticed there was a gold outlining on the lettering before. Oh, yeah, there is. <laughs> it's a nice, subtle detail. So, yeah, we're going to pick that up the next time that I'm in the studio to record. Absolutely. I think we can talk a little bit about that because, honestly, with this jersey that I'm looking at right now, you were looking for one of these for years, and you've talked about this on the podcast it just happened to it just happened to be that I was on one of our U sites here on the island, yeah. and I found one, and I immediately messaged you, and I was like, "Hey Tim, there's a guy selling a SNES jersey for forty bucks. Do you want me to go get it?" And that's a really good price for a, a proper Reebok jersey. Mm-hmm. Well, even talking to the guy who we I got it off, basically he used it as a drop in hockey jersey. Okay. And it just got to a point where he just got too, Jersey got too small for him. But even when I was looking at it, I'm looking at it. I'm like, cause it's a medium. And I'm like, this Jersey's really small. Like, am I, sh- are you sure this is an adult size Jersey? Uh, the re the thing about the Reebok jerseys is they were always really slim fit because like at that point, that was the style of gear and they wanted to go something new era. And uh, I think I have a men's medium of the home jersey that I still fit. Like I fit pretty easily. You have to remember that I'm also, I'm quite slender. Yeah. Although I do have fairly broad shoulders, but 
Yeah, no. So I, I should probably fit it pretty easily. If he was using it as a drop in Jersey, does it smell? No. Okay, good. <laughs> no, no, God. Cause I would not, I would not buy it if it smelled. Okay, good, good, good. I'm not an asshole, Tim. I don't know. <laughs> Do you really think I would nah, buy that nah, jersey nah. if it didn't, if it smelled? Come yeah, on. if it smelled the high heaven, I think you would like, yeah, thanks, no thanks. Yeah, no, that would be bad. That'd be bad. <laughs> so, Tim, like I said, like we could sit here and talk about Philip Kuba all day, but I think it's time that we should plug our. Actually, wait, cover. wait, wait. What's up? Do you have a favorite Philip Kuba memory? Because I don't. I don't know. Because again, he was a guy who he didn't he didn't rack up a lot of points in Ottawa, right? Yeah, yeah. Coop, Phillips, one of those guys. He's like a lot of cover athletes that we have on the show, where it's just like we don't really have a favorite moment or a memory. We kind of just think of their tenure or what they meant to the team itself. Yeah, and he also played in such a he played in a very odd era for the Ottawa Senators, right? Because he kind of went through the like the twilight period of those really good mid 2000s teams where you had Heatley out of town and then they made the playoffs next year, then uh, shipped everyone out of town after the team fell apart with uh, starting goalie Alex Ald. And then Ottawa come and then he played on that team that almost sunk the high flying Rangers. Yeah, it, it's amazing. And it, but I think even I look back on that rebuild sometimes of just how it was one of those things where it wasn't really even a quote unquote rebuild because basically it was they dealt everybody and anybody out of town and yet they didn't tank. They still made the playoffs. Well, it's like th- they did quite poorly that that season. They sold everybody off. But yeah, then the next season, they just made the playoffs. Yeah. And it, it was a little sad that all we got for it was Jared Cowan. Yeah. But no, we got Zibanejad. We got, no, we picked, yeah, we picked Zibanejad. That's right. Yeah. Oh, I remember the 2011 draft because I was the draft. I'm like, yeah, you know what I would really like to see is Adam Larson. <laughs> I I think we were better served by Zibanejad. Yeah. 2011 Taylor was not a smart individual. Hey, we could have done worse. That is actually very true, Tim. We could have done worse. However, I don't think we could have done worse for our cover athlete for next week's episode, which is season five, episode 23, in chronology order, episode 118. Our trade deadline episode for 2022. And there's only two names on the board, Tim. Two very memorable players for the Ottawa Senators who wore the number 18, Marin Hosa and Tim Stutzla. Again, we got these really nice battle of the kind of battle of the era polls. And I'm really here to see like what people see or what people want to see. Yeah, because it's a weird one. Like, and I was thinking, oh, yeah, it's probably going to be Stutzla that takes over. But last I checked, it was Marin Hosa. And I'm just trying to find it right. And I'm trying to find it. Oh, yeah, it's right here. Yeah, Marin Hosa's, there's nine votes. Marion Hosa is leading 56% to 44. Right. And I guess at the same time, we're going to have years to talk about Tim Stutzla. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, Tim, with all that being said, 
I think it's time of the episode where I ask the all important question. How has your week been going? Honestly, it's been going pretty good. We got to watch some pretty good hockey. Uh, we got, and I think the biggest thing is uh, we tried out live streaming with wild, wild Weiss for the first time. Oh, yeah. How did that go? So I had everything nice and set up uh, to stream over YouTube. And then uh, my buddy couldn't use his webcam. So I had to change on the fly. And uh, the way that YouTube works for streaming is every live stream is assigned to a video ID. Mm-hmm. So then to, so people wouldn't watch me kind of flailing around trying to fit a web, a webcam to a stream live. I decided to uh, just stop the stream and start again, but you can't do that because YouTube keeps everything to a video. So it took me a while to figure that out, get all the links set up, but otherwise it went pretty well. There was no other tech hiccups. Okay. Is this the first time you guys have tried to do a live stream or have you done it in the past? That's the first time I've tried to do a live stream on YouTube. Like I've done, I've streamed through Twitch before. Yeah. How many times have you guys done it through Twitch? A couple times or just once? Uh, during COVID, we, I know uh, I did it every week and then we used to bring a laptop and a pretty nice camera to do it in the card store every Friday. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's the first time we've done it on YouTube. And we also ended up getting another We I mentioned that I did an interview last week and uh, we ended up. Yeah, getting that out on uh, well, I finished editing it all up Sunday. I was like, oh, it's too late to release this. So I just released it in the morning. And it seems to be doing pretty decent. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Now, I'm trying to remember, who is the guy that you got in again? Uh, so we got a guy from uh, one of the other bigger Weiss channels called Kit from Burn One. And uh, yeah, so far, I think we've got about 100 views on the video in the first six hours or so. That's pretty good, man. That yeah. is pretty good. I mean, could be better. <laughs> That's true. But I mean, you know, all in relativity, right? exactly so i guess i could recap what i've got up to this past week tim because you know there's quite a few things i want to talk about now number one the only comment i got about last week's episode is our bot adam he gave me some really solid feedback on the episode number one he really loved my phil kessel impression (laughs) he thought that kessel the kessel impression was pretty spot on but also the one thing that really cracked me up was he really liked our discussion on milk on milk yeah because remember because i was talking about how i had to switch from regular milk to almond milk and then you were saying about how chocolate milk would upset you and then your body just was like oh okay it's fine now yeah yeah. but he was just thrilled he was just like why am i so engaged of listening to two guys talking about milk i mean Sometimes you just got to know what your body's going to do when you drink something from the supermarket. I get you. I get you, Adam. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's pretty good, man. It's pretty good. And honestly, you know, like I do not drink almond milk straight. I only have it in cereal. Okay. So it is. It, it tastes like it. Honestly, it has a texture of silk. If that makes any sense, you know how silk has that you know you know that texture that silk has yeah that's kind of the texture i get drinking almond milk it's like that kind of texture maybe it's just me i know i shake it up quite a bit but still even that is just like 
it's liquidy. I can tell it's I can tell it's a liquid, but it's it just has like the texture of silk. Yeah. And that doesn't sound very pleasant. No, it really doesn't. It really, really doesn't. Does does cereal help? Cereal helps, yes. The cereal does help. Actually, uh, if we want to talk about a gross almond milk story. Okay. So when we were coming to uh, visit Victoria last summer, we didn't get a chance to empty out the whole fridge. So we just kind of packed into some cooler bags and drove through the interior with it. Mm-hmm. And Chelsea, ha- Chelsea had some almond milk. And she was like, you know what? I don't want to have to bring this huge thing of protein powder with me. So she mixed the protein powder into in with the almond milk. But I guess one thing we weren't fully bargaining for was how well our car could handle like very the heat dome basically Mm -hmm. because uh when we got to Kelowna the first day when we got there it was 25 degrees so not bad so that'd be about 72 and the next day in the morning it was 90 degrees oh shit so we got we got back into Victoria and Chelsea's like oh I probably should drink some of this almond milk and uh, she pours it out and it's thick. Ooh, is it like a milkshake? It's like it's like a weird smelling milkshake. I'm like, yeah, don't drink that. She's like, like no, it'll be fine. Like, is it like when you're talking like it's thick, do you mean like thick like like a milkshake or thick like lumpy? Kind of it's like lumpy and like it's got this we- like weird texture to it. And she's like, it smells like it. I'm not sure if it smells bad or what's going on here. I'm like, yeah. And she has a bit of it. She's like, yeah, and just dumps it. I was trying to think, was it like that moment from The Simpsons when when Homer bought all that eggnog and then Marge has to get the spoon and scoop it all out? It was basically that. It was the nog. Yuck. Oh, that's disgusting, man. Yeah, so uh, don't take the expiry date and storage conditions for almond milk seriously because if you do not follow those instructions... It's going to get gross real quick. Yeah. It's kind of like the rainbow soup. The rainbow soup is something else. Oh, God. I don't even remember how long that was in there for. A month, maybe? We knew it was bad when it started smelling. And we're like, what the hell is that fucking smell? And you're you're just like, Tay, I think that's coming out of your locker. I'm like... And I opened it. I was like, ugh, ugh, God, oh God. As soon as I just cracked it a little bit, I, I got a big whiff. And I was like, ugh, Oh God. Like, uh, that, that was something else. Ugh. God, I have not thought about the rainbow soup in a long time, man. As you should. As I should. As I should. So I don't know if you, well, you and I didn't really get a chance to chat over the last couple of days, Tim, but this, this morning I got back from Vancouver. Me and Katrina were over in Vancouver for a couple of days. Really great time. You know, it was one of the first times that we got over there. It was the well, second time, second time we've been over there. And we got to see some sporting events when we were up there. Yeah. How were they? Really fun. Really fun. And I guess we could start talking about Saturday night. Yeah. Because I got to witness my very first National Lacrosse League game. It was a Vancouver Warriors game versus the Toronto Rock. The Toronto Rock ended up winning 14 to 5. Wow, they got the Warriors absolutely got smoked. 
like that's not even close. Holy, like lacrosse is a high scoring game, but like an eight goal margin is insanity. Yeah, it was bad. It was just like, it just seemed like every time the the Toronto Rock got the ball and just threw it at the goalie, it went in. To be fair, that is lacrosse. Then I know that, but still, with all that gear, you would think the goalie should be able to stop at least a couple. It, well, basically, it's funny because the thing about lacrosse that makes it so hard for the goalies and why they have so much gear and why the net's so small is... Think about the mechanics of a lacrosse shot versus a hockey shot. Mm-hmm. For the lacrosse shot, it's just a little flick of the wrist and that ball just flies. And you can, and without moving the stick too much, you can pick your spot on that net. So it is very easy to fool the goalie. Like if lacrosse had a hockey sized net, the, the goalie would be redundant. It would be basketball. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's why even though these goalies are massive, you still a 70% save percentage is a good save percentage. But honestly, no, it was a great time. And Katrina, when she lived in Calgary, she went to a bunch of roughneck games. And it was one of those things for myself, because I'm going to hockey games for years. Like I was kind I kind of knew what it was going to kind of be like, but going to a lacrosse game is something different because number one, there's constantly music playing. The crowd yep. is super into it. And that's a funny thing. And I'll talk about this in a minute here when we talk about the, when I talk about the Canucks game I went to last night was that they only did the lower bowl of Rogers Arena. And oh, really? Yeah. Like they tarped off the, the upper bowl. Calgary fills the house. Yeah. That's what she was saying too. She says that the saddle dome fills up no problem, but yeah, I guess for the Vancouver warriors, I'm not sure if this is a new thing or they've been doing that the entire time, but yeah, they tarped off the upper bowl. Yeah. And we got really good seats. We were maybe four rows down from the floor. Oh, that's sick. Right behind the benches. Yeah. It was, it was a fun time, but no, it was really cool. And honestly, it was one of those things where I'm watching it and it was super exciting, fast paced. And I'm definitely going to go back and watch the Warriors again. If I ever go back to Vancouver. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it's a very fan active game. So one thing that happens in the Roughnecks games a lot is you have a lot of call and answer. So for instance, uh, whatever a penalty is assessed to the opposing team, uh, the announcer is like, what do we have to tell them? Get in, sit down. And then the whole crowd yells, shut up. And then for the, whatever the opponent scored, it's like, who scored? Who cares? So it's like a very sassy fan engaged game. It was kind of like when Stuntman Stu was on, when he was talking about his time with the Ottawa rebel, where he's just like Toronto rock gold scored by does, does it even matter anymore? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But one thing I do want to comment Tim, or two start two things I want to comment is that we had this group of four women sitting in front of us uh-huh. and, and this end I will definitely talk about this in the Canucks game too, is that I never understood why, even in 2022, why do people insist on coming to the game late and they leave early? I understand lacrosse is, I understand like the Warrior games were not that expensive. They were pretty reasonable price, but still, and I understand like, okay, maybe you don't really, are into the cross. You kind of want to go through the experience, 
but stay for the entire game. I mean, I can understand just being late because you're pre-gaming or what. Okay. There's a lot of people who come to lacrosse games just completely liquored up, right? Oh, yeah. We found that out the hard way. There was this group of bros behind us, and they just wouldn't shut up the entire game. And this is another thing, and I I am going to actually say this for the Canucks game because I have a big bone to pick with people there. But, but yeah, even at Warriors games, it it's like I, – I get it, right? Okay, you want to come to games liquored up. You want to pregame. But you know what? It's – for me, I just think because I would rather see an entire game yeah. than see large portions of it. Because I'm a sports fan. If I go to a game, I want to see the entire thing. I don't want to just be like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll come halfway through the first period, and then I leave by the third. It's funny because I remember when I used to sometimes go to Vi- UVic Vikes games with uh, my the people I lived with yeah, at UVic uh, first year. I'd be like, yeah, the first quarter sucks. So drink through that. Then you go for the second and third. And if it's interesting, stay for the fourth. If not, oh, well, it's just college ball. So it's like, I can see that if you're like kind of tangentially attached to the game. Then it's like, yeah, whatever. But yeah, no, it's, I think for like hockey and lacrosse, I do like to watch the whole game, basketball too. But, uh, yeah, no, I get why some people are definitely there more for the experience. And if they leave a bit early, they can hop to the they can hop to the first bar of the night or the first club in the night and maybe beat the lineup. That is true. That is true. But I, I don't know. Me, it's probably just me, right? Because I, I think for me, it's such a weird nitpick where I'm just like, ah, it's so stupid. I don't understand why you're doing this. But I actually gotta bring up some of the tweets that I sent here through the game because honestly. It's really, really cool. And the one of the first big ones I want to bring up is the first tweet that I sent out. Yeah. Is attending my first NL Warriors game with my girlfriend. And she had to bring it to me that at BizNasty 2.0 isn't here tonight. Sad face. Regardless, go Warriors. Uh-huh. Paul Bizanet liked it. <laughs> BizNasty. Okay, that's funny. Paul Bizanet and the Vancouver Warriors liked it. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. Next tweet I send out. Me win at LLL Warriors use Ultimate Warriors thing to kick off the game. And it's the gif of the Ultimate Warrior running. Yeah. And so the Warriors respond with exact same vibes. Nice. But to top it, I believe it was at halftime. They had four fans on the floor doing the potato sack race. Yeah. And you can tell these guys are hammered. And it's hilarious. They're literally tackling each other on the floor. And so they get across the line and the PA guys do, oh, that's such a great race. Well, they start wrestling. (laughs) They start wrestling on the floor. And one of the bros is wearing a cowboy's hat, like a cowboy hat. But next thing you know, he hits his buddy with a stone cold stunner in front of everybody. And I was like, yes, I'm cheering and it was so amazing. And I tweeted that out and the Warriors quote tweeted it. Nice. With a picture. And I'm literally going to have to send this to you because I can't do this picture justice. It's this funny. It's a picture of Buddy doing like a macho man, Randy Savage, elbow off the top rope on his buddy. That That's incredible. Oh, it was so good. It was so much fun. Yeah, because man, that sounds way better than what we got in Calgary. We just got a crappy dance squad. Although uh, the game I went to, they had the Stampede Brass Band, and that was really well done. 
Yeah. But well, usually they, it's just the, uh, well, it's the cheer team. Yeah. Well, we got the cheer team too, but they also had like the warriors hype man and they had the DJ playing. It was really, really cool, but no, it was a great time. I definitely will go back to a warriors game, but the one final comment I want to make up with the warriors before I head on to the Canucks, there's a gentleman playing for the warriors who is from Duncan. Yep. His name is Tyson Rowe. The guy is about six foot 10, 265 pounds. And Katrina nudges me and she's like, that's cool. That guy's from Duncan. And I look up and I take a picture of it. And I said to my mom, I was like, oh, hey, there's a guy on the Warriors and he's from Duncan. I said, his name's Tyson Rowe. And she goes, I know Tyson Rowe. He used to be a summer student at North Couchin. Okay. Yeah. He's apparently, he's such a super nice guy too. Like he's like very quiet just really really sweet but it's funny my mom was like he's such a nice boy and she's but the best comment was my mom's just like yeah i remember when he was a summer student we had to order him special overalls because tyson was so tall (laughs) they literally could not find overalls long enough for him that's incredible (laughs) but it was awesome it was awesome now fast forward to the canucks game last night and First of all, I want to get start off by saying Tampa Bay absolutely dominated the Canucks in the first period. As you would expect. They were out shooting Vancouver 13 to 1 at one point in that in the first period. And we're looking at each other oh. and they were up 2 nothing. And we're like, what? That's your Debco too powerful. Well, I know. Like the Lightning were up 2 nothing, 13 to 1 shots. There's this drunk guy at the very top of the stadium. Every time Tampa scores, he starts chanting, USA, USA. And I turn around and I just yell, Hammond Swedish, you idiot. <laughs> I mean, dude's having fun. He was just being obnoxious. And then when the cannot, when Steven Stamkos one time that scores, it gets called back for an offside. Yeah. Buddy, two rows in front of me, he turns around and gives up the mock clap and then gives him the finger. And I started laughing. I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> but now when I was talking about this, Tim, I'm talking about the Warriors game with that group of women sitting in front of me. Can we, given that hockey is back and given that we're, everything start, everything's opening up now, we're allowed to go back to games. Can we please stop with this nonsense of having full loud conversations with your friends at hockey games. I, okay. Now listen to me. I understand. No. I understand if you want to talk, that's not a problem, but when you're having a full conversation and you're not even paying attention to the game, that's where I have an issue. And I get it. You, people want to come to the game for the experience. They want to come and have a couple of beers with their buddies. Not everybody's here to do that. Some people are there to actually watch the game. I think you can do both. Well, not when they're super obnoxious, super loud, and they're like... You're in a crowd right- for a game. He's not even really paying attention. <laughs> like, I'm sure Sense fans, if Amos was at the games yelling and screaming like apparently she does at games, I can understand that, but at least she's engaged in the game where Buddy is just not even paying attention. He's like, oh, something happened. Okay, and he kept just chatting about nothing. It's like... And I, I'm trying so hard not to sound like a cranky old man here, Tim. But, you know, for me, it's just like, I get it. I get you want to chat. I get you want to have the experience. Not everybody wants to hear your conversation when you're basically screaming 
at your at, when you're yelling to your buddy. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. I just ignore it and watch the game. I tried. I really, really tried. But here's another thing. Remember when I was going back to Willis Mayer? Remember when I was saying that whip those people I hate those people that show up late and leave early? Buddy was there for the first period. He never came back. <laughs> he just left. <laughs> Katrina and I were sitting there in the second period and we're looking at each other like, I think Buddy just left. I don't think he came back. <laughs> it's incredible. Well, I remember because like Kucherov touched the buck and I just yelled out, number one bullshit. And Buddy behind me, yeah, number one bullshit. He's just mocking me. No, of course, I was drinking Bud Light. Yeah. Because, you know, Kucherov. Yeah, yeah. Good game. I gotta say, though, and one criticism I have of Kucherov, he was a very lazy skater in that game. He I mean, was... I understand, like, okay, you're very, very talented. You don't exactly need to put, like, 100% effort into everything. But I just watched him, and I'm just like, this guy just casually went down the ice. He didn't even try to, like, skate hard down the ice. And I'm watching him. I'm like, uh, maybe maybe because I don't watch Tampa Bay a ton. Maybe he's like this all the time, and that's just the way he skates. But, yeah, I don't know. I was just watching him. Like, he's not that, not that impressive. Well, maybe he's just saving it all for the playoffs and knows that he just doesn't need to just destroy the Vancouver Canucks on a given Sunday. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, Tim, that could be. But honestly, it was a good game. And I got some photos. And obviously, oh, also went to the BC Sports Museum. Nice. Two things I want to bring up. Number one, they had some XFL stuff there. What? Yeah. They had a Las Vegas Outlaws football and t-shirt. All right. Would you like to guess which player was on the t-shirt? Who did he hate me play for? Did I guess it? Yep. Nice. I saw that and I was like, oh, that's so cool. Because I guess the guy that, I don't know if he owned the team or he was really involved in the team. Like he was involved with like the Oakland Raiders and the Dallas Cowboys, and the BC Lions or whatever. So they had this whole thing for him. But also, I don't know if you ever heard of the roller hockey league from the mid 1990s. No, I didn't. Okay, so it was a it was an inline hockey league that started in the mid 90s as as like rollerblading became like super popular and roller hockey became a thing. It became a summer league. Right. And there was a number of teams. There was who is there now? I'm trying to think now. I think San Diego had a team, not affiliated with your favorite team, the San Diego Gulls. The Anaheim Bullfrogs. Yep. Vancouver had a team, the Vancouver Voodoo. They had a Vancouver Voodoo jersey at, at the BC Sports Museum. Huh. And I guess it's just like a summer league that kind of came and went like a bunch of others. Pretty much. I mean, fun times. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Like when I looked at the jersey, my first thought was like, this jersey is made out of the material. Remember back in Q of A when we had the pennies? Like the really cheap ones? It looked like that. Oh, wow. Well, was, I guess when you don't have a lot of money. Yeah, but it was like a suit. It was a really cool logo. It kind of had like an Arizona Coyotes feel to it. Huh. Really cool stuff. 
but at the same time, shame on the work, shame on the quality of the workmanship a bit. Yeah, it was kind of cheap looking. I mean, it was like the mid nineties and obviously the Jersey technology hadn't really advanced so far, but it is what it is. Yep. Now, one final thing just came out today, Tim. Yeah. So when I got back from Vancouver, I was on my laptop, you know, finishing up some games, putting up some notes for this episode. Yep. And I noticed on YouTube, Sportsnet had a video. It was for the hometown hockey that happened this past weekend for their hometown player profile, whatever it did. They did it on Tim Stutzla. Yes. And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. I haven't seen this yet. So I clicked on it and I'm watching it and watching it. And they're talking about Tim Stutzla scoring the hatch against Winnipeg. Yeah. A game that we talked about here last season on the show. And we talked about how like the neighborhood kids, because they, because of COVID fans weren't allowed to come be in the building. So the neighborhood kids were throwing the hats over the fence into Mark Stone's yard. Yeah. And we're thinking, Oh, that's so cool. It's so cool. And I remember thinking about, because I remember back then I tweeted about it. I tweeted out, I says, this is so awesome. I don't know what's more wholesome. The kids throwing the hats or the big smile on Tim Stutzla's face. So Sportsnet was showing some of the tweets to highlight this. Actually, it's on Sportsnet right now. Third line plug. Your third line plug tweet just showed up on screen. Yep. That honestly, I don't know what to say. I am honestly speechless. I was shocked when I saw that. I was like, holy shit. No fucking way. Oh my God. Okay. I'm going to message Katrina. I'm going to message Tim. This is amazing. <laughs> I tweeted that out and I'm just like, Oh my God, Tim, look at our go. tweet I mentioned. <laughs> and you're just like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of neat. Oh God. It was so neat, Tim. It was so neat, but you know, it was also really neat, Tim. Uh-huh. Is this, is this segue into my favorite segment, your favorite segment, this little thing I like to call top of the hour. Nice. Nice. You see, Tim, and due to the thankful technology that is editing, our fans will never know that I stopped and grabbed somebody to drink. Or that time I ate soup. Or last week's episode when I had to redo the segue into top of the hour three times. I mean, we got there. We eventually got there, but you know, you would think doing the show for five years, you think we would be good at it by now, but no, 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 we're not. No, 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 no. But thankfully, Tim, something that is good is Buffalo Sabres goaltender, Craig Anderson, who recorded his 300th win during the team's game versus the Vegas Golden Knights. Anderson, had recorded a 9-8-0 record with a .904 save percentage for Buffalo at the time of the story. And also, Tim, (laughs) Craig Anderson, as of this weekend, moves into second place for the most wins in NHL outdoor games with three. Man, Toronto looked dumb in that game. Mm Mm-hmm. And no. Even though he's probably going to be playing backup minutes for the rest of his career, Craig Anderson, since leaving the Ottawa Senators, has looked very good. He has. And honestly, it's so great to see because I remember when he was finishing his career in Ottawa and we were watching him just going, 
I don't know how much he's got left. I don't know if he's done. I don't know if a team's going to pick him up. He goes to Washington. I don't even remember how he played. Uh, he played quite well in four games, including stealing a playoff win. That's right. Okay, the playoff win I remember. Because remember we mentioned that. But yeah, and obviously that job came up because of Henrik Lundqvist had his health issues. And then... The Buffalo Sabres sign him, and we're thinking, okay, sad. Like, this is his last resort of having to play for Buffalo. But the fact he got his 300th win, he's now a perfect 3-0 and in outdoor games, 2014 Heritage Classic, NHL 100 Classic, and the Heritage Classic in Hamilton. Isn't that, like, the most Cats thing ever? Yeah. Toronto rolls in thinking they're they're high and mighty and they just get rolled by a team that probably shouldn't even be in this league. You know what's really funny, Tim, is Adam actually mentioned this to me because we were talking about the game and he says that Mitch Marner is a noted Toronto Argonauts fan. Yep. And so he was bragging that the Argos always went to Tim Hortons Field to beat the Ticats, which was not accurate. No. And of course, and I think Adam was saying Kyle Dubas for like 10 years was a season ticket holder to the Ticats. And so I commented, I says, oh, I bet he's not saying Oski Wee Wee after that game. <laughs> Definitely not. And he's just like, oh, I, he would have, I would have booed him mercilessly. I'm like, yeah, he would have, Adam. Yeah, he would have. <laughs> not to be outdone though, Tim, the New York Islanders head coach, Barry Trotz has recorded his 900th NHL career win during the team's game versus the Winnipeg Jets. Trotz is in his fourth season as Islanders head coach. Barry Trotz is one of these guys, and I've talked about this in the past. I tend to forget two things. Yeah. Number one, that he's won a lot of games. Yep. But also, he's been in the league a long time. Well, he's... And he's done it with three teams. Yeah. Well, he was the inaugural coach for the Nashville Predators. He was the only coach for the longest time. Yeah, yeah. until he left for Washington in 2017. He was their coach for 17 straight years. Yep. Then he won a cup. That's incredible. I don't think I've seen an NHL coach with such a long single team tenure. And then David Poyle is another guy where he hit, he is the only general manager for the national predators. Yeah. And I think that really goes to show the faith that the predators ownership must have in Dave Pol in, in their uh, GM, right? Because honestly, you think of it, a lot of the teams nowadays do not have that kind of patience where it's like, if you're not good in a couple of years, you're gone. Yeah. And the fact that David Poyle was able to build the predators from the ground up, him and Barry Trotz. Yeah. And they've been very good. Like both, both of them have been very good at what they've done for the last 20, 22 years. And it's the only thing that's really held New York back this season is that hellish start to the season. 100%, man. 100%. Now, Tim, we got to move away from the New York Islanders and we got to talk about the Chicago Blackhawks again. Because remember, I think it was a week or two ago, we talked about how the Chicago Blackhawks have, have done everything and nothing at the same time to change their culture in Chicago. Yep. 
Well, they have done it again. The Chicago Blackhawks have named Norm McIver as an assistant general manager. McIver, who previously served as director of player personnel for the CL Kraken, is in his second tenure as part of the Blackhawks front office. Fun fact, Tim. Yep. Because we talked about Eric Carlson earlier. Norm McIver held the record for most points by a Senators defenseman held in the 1992-93 season, only be broken by Eric Carlson. Think of that for a second. Norm McIver. I think the record 63, if I'm not mistaken. The fact is you think about all the defensemen we've had on the team, like from Wade Redden to Chara, it's Eric Carlson that ends up breaking up like 20 years after he sets Yeah. And a lot of people forget that Norm McIver was even here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess when you have the legend known as Peter Sidorkowitz on your team, you know, it's hard to remember that anybody was on that team too, right? That's true. Well, I mean, we remember Stork or Sidork. Oh, who doesn't remember Stork or Sidork? Yeah, I love the fact that Dan O'Toole on Boomsies was talking about Ottawa, and he's talking about Algonquin College, and he made a comment about the Ottawa Senators. He goes, yeah, the Ottawa Senators. I wonder, does Peter Sidork would still play for them? Probably. And I wanted to tweet him through the show and be like, no, Sidorkowitz left. They're on to Craig Billington. Damn. Or Do- and, Don- and Don Popre. Who, by the way, Tim, I am going to, sh- I want to quickly show you Don Popre's mask with the Senators because it is one of those masks that honestly is such a unique look. Uh, let's see if I done Poe. I probably didn't even spell it right. If not, I'll look it up later. Oh, well. Yeah, anyways. No, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, the thing about the Norm McIver is one of my neighbors, his brother, I think, worked for the University of Minnesota Duluth. Right. And he knew Norm McIver because Norm McIver was with the Blackhawks at the time. And so that whole thing with Kyle Beach, everybody knew. It was not a secret in that organization what happened to him. Oh. So Norm McIver knew what happened. Everybody in the Blackhawks front office knew about it. It was not a secret. Right. That's really sad. It is really sad. And while Norm McIver wasn't named in the lawsuit or the report itself, he knew about it. Yeah. That's a shame. And now he's back with the organization. Well, I remember you were saying that you would put money on the fact that after it all died down, a bunch bunch of the people who knew would miraculously end up in NHL jobs. Yep. And it's starting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you just wait, right? I, obviously, Stan Bowman's not going to be hired by any team, but Joel Quenville one of the best head coaches in hockey, he'll probably get another shot. Yep. In the same way that Mike Babcock will probably get another shot in the NHL. It's only a matter of who will want to take that on. Yeah. Well, the question is, is do you think the senators would get desperate enough to try? You know, I don't think so. The Sens would have to be super desperate to go for that because honestly, 
Eugene Melnick is many, many things in this role. I don't think he's one that would hire Joel Quenville. After yeah. all this about Beach, I don't think he'd willing willingly want to do that. Because at least that is one thing that the senders have been good good for is doing right by their players. For the most part, anyway. Yeah. So I could definitely see uh, Melnick not going for that. 100%. Now, do, do you want to talk about something funny, Tim? Sure. Do you remember when we talked about the Philadelphia Flyers trading for Rasmus Rustalainen? And the package yeah. that they sent to Buffalo, they doubled down. Oh, good lord! The Philadelphia Flyers have re-signed defenseman Rasmus Ruslanin to a five-year, twenty-five million dollar contract with an AAV five point one. Ruslanin had recorded two goals, twelve assists for fourteen points, and fifty games for Philadelphia. Sorry, did you say two goals and fifteen points? Fourteen. Four. 14. Okay. <sighs> I I heard better. And they're giving a five and a half per 5.1 per term <laughs> for quite possibly the worst defenseman in the league. Oh my God. It's almost like the Philadelphia Flyers want them to laugh, want us to laugh at them. Yeah. Although one thing it really came as a surprise, Tim, is that given that we are on the National Podcast Network, a noted Philadelphia Flyers podcast network site, it's pretty quiet. Pretty quiet on their end regarding what they thought. I mean, I'm sure we'll hear about it the next time angry and negative go off. Hopefully. But even Dan didn't go off about it. Angry and negative didn't really, I don't think said anything about it. I might be wrong. I didn't get a chance to see it, but. Yeah, like that is that is a freaking contract because uh, per Dom's model with the athletic Erasmus Ristolainen, if he has positive value at all, the model estimates his contract is worth a million dollars, less than a million for what he's playing per year. Like that, that, that contract is something else. I will tell you. And it is, yeah, there is no other way to describe it, but very funny. I'm just going to oh. look up the player card here to get. Okay. Now, while you're doing that, Tim, maybe I'll move on to our next signing. The Seattle Kraken have re-signed forward Jared McCann to a five-year, $25 million contract with an AAV, five. McCann had recorded 21 goals, 12 assists for 33 points and 50 games for Seattle at the time of the signing. I haven't watched enough of Jared McCann to really make a full – evaluation of whether this is a good contract for him but the fact that he's leading the Kraken in scoring right now with 21 goals at the time anyway that's not bad so Jared McCann has been like that and kind of just driven play even in his time in Pittsburgh to such an effect an efficient and effective degree that this is going to be a player that continues to be a good offensive creator. Yeah, so uh, Rasmus Ristolainen's market value is $1 million. Jesus Christ. And here you thought the Flyers' fortunes would change when Ron Hextall left town. I actually like what Ron Hextall's doing in 
in uh, Pittsburgh. It's a shame that they had to get rid of uh, Jared McCann, but gosh, Jared McCann's been fantastic in uh, Seattle. Well, continues to be fantastic in Seattle. And that was probably a very, very good pick off of Toronto. And I, I still can't believe for the life of me that Toronto protected Kerfoot over McCann or Hall over both of them. Yeah, honestly, no, Jared McCann. I mean, for 21 goals, that's not a bad bad contract. The thing is, he needs to keep producing, right? He needs to be that consistent guy for them. And hopefully it works out for Seattle. I, I will make one comment. Actually, no, shit, fuck it. I'll save it for the Kraken game that we're going to talk about later. So we're going to move on to talk about another side. Now, a lot of the news stories for this week are talking about re-signings. But the, but the Dallas Stars have also made a re-signing, Tim. They've re-signed nice. for Joe Pavelski to a one-year, $5.5 million contract. Pavelski have recorded 22 goals, 37 assists for 59 points, and 56 games for Dallas at the time of the signing. We talk about Pavelski pretty much any time we play against Dallas. And he really has been a glue that's held an offense that's had some severe issues together yeah. between Joe, him and Jason Robinson. Really, yeah. yeah. Well, Joe Pavelski really gives me Ray Whitney vibes. He's a guy that you don't realize he, he's as good as he really is. Oh or, yeah. Or Ray Whitney. I mean, when he was in the NHL, like he's a thousand point guy, he consistently put up points everywhere he went, but nobody really gave him the respect. And I think with Pavelski, Pavelski was kind of the same way because when he played in San Jose, you had Joe Thornton, you had Danny Heatley, you had Milan McCulloch, you had Jonathan Chichu, Patrick Marlowe, Brent yeah. Burns. Eric Carlson, even. Yeah, Eric Carlson. You had these offensive dynamos around you, and yet he's the one that's been so consistent. He was, I think he was the captain, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And then they end up losing him because they re-signed Eric. Yeah. And... What's insane is that Joe Pavelski has not really lost a step. No. Despite being almost 38. He's finishing at probably his best rate in his career. He's still driving play at elite levels, still can take on first line minutes. And he has become a power play. Well, he's been a power play God, basically. And he's playing panel and he can play on your penalty kill too. Like we're talking about an elite, elite player. And it's funny because I think San Jose definitely crumbled when Pavelski left. Yeah, but I think San Jose was already beginning to crumble even before he left. That's true. But I think that definitely sealed the deal. 100%. Now, when talking about sealed the, sealing the deal, Tim, the Carolina Hurricanes have also done that by resetting forward. Jesperi Kokotekanemi to an eight-year, $38.5 million contract with an AAV of 4.82. Kokotekanemi had recorded 11 goals, 12 assists for 23 points, and 54 games for Carolina at the time of the signing. So what's brilliant about this contract is note that it is lower than what a qualifying offer would have had to be. And this demonstrates and completes the case perfect example of how to do an offer sheet and if other gms are paying attention we're going to see a lot more of this i really hope so because i think for me one of the things that really 
has not been a thing is offer sheets. And, and it goes back to an old boys club in the NHL where you don't want to ruffle, ruffle people's feathers. You don't want to piss people off. And then Tom Dundon comes along and just like, eh, fuck it. We'll just do it anyway. Yeah. And it worked out for them. And to be fair, Bergevin poked the bear. Yep. And I am really glad to see that just very coked and is going to be in Carolina for the long term, because if we get another long-term offer sheet that works out, we'll start seeing a lot more. And this serves as a blueprint, a pro forma, if you will, on how to do it. So now we're going to move away from the forwards and talk about a goalie signing, Tim. The Colorado Avalanche have re-signed goaltender Pavel Francus to a two-year $4 million contract with an AAV, $2 million. Francus had recorded a 10-3-1 record with a .920 save percentage for Colorado at the time of the signing. Despite some injury trouble, uh, Francus has been very good this season. So yes. I like this contract, and it's it's good money for what they get in Frank Cruz. Just a very solid backup, $2 million. He can't ask for more. And it gives Colorado some cap certainty, which is essential, especially because this is a team that uh, we'll talk about it next week, but they just picked up uh, Josh Manson from Anaheim. Yeah, and that's a huge pickup too for Colorado on the back end because that they're pre- they've been somewhat weak on the back end. But no, I think that's a really good pickup by them. I don't mind Frank Coos as a goaltender. I really like that him and Kemper have been able to form the goalie tandem in Colorado. And my big question is: Is it enough to get him to the finals? That's going to be the thing because the Colorado's going into this of like finals or bust. Yeah, as they should. They have been like. If it wasn't for the 2018-2019 Tampa Bay Lightning, this would be a legendary season. Yeah. Oh, and the fact that not only are Colorado doing it, the Florida Panthers are right there behind them. Like this is like those are two teams that will be all in, and I would be very shocked to see Florida not make a move. Sorry, and Carolina too. Like, Carolina has, like, if they win their next game, they'll have 89 points in 60 games or just under a 75% points percentage. Colorado, they are at that same 60 games, played 42 wins. They have won almost a, well, they've won over a third of their games. Sorry, they've almost won three quarters of their games. Yeah, this is, I have to admit, man, this is going to be such a great, great, great playoff run that we're going to have coming up here in the spring. Because honestly, think of it. You're going to have Florida that's going to be really good. Colorado is going to be super good. Tampa's looking for their third straight. The Leafs games, if they don't work out for Toronto, they'll at least be fun to watch. Yeah, I hope they lose, but you know. Well, like, it's going to be no goalie zone. Yeah, it's just how like how they're playing right now, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see if they can even pick up a goalie. Yeah. Or true, if man. Jack Campbell comes back and is either rejuvenated or well, I guess the question is is which Jack Campbell's the real Jack Campbell? So we're gonna close off top of the hour by talking once again 
about a signing. The Columbus Blue Jackets have re-signed forward Justin Danforth to a two-year $1.95 million contract with an AAV $975,000. Danforth had recorded five goals, two assists for seven points in 22 games for Columbus at the time of the signing. It's a signing that you can't be too mad about. You're still, it's under a million dollars for a depth player. And frankly, he's, he's been pretty good as far as a fourth liner can be. He has a small, he has a little bit of finish and uh, Columbus is definitely better with him off the ice than without him defensively. So this is a neat little pickup for Yarmo Kekalainen and uh, good find, good keep. Like to see him. Well, Tim, that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which means only one thing. It's time to talk about most of the games. Now, of course, even though there's four games played this week, we're only going to talk about three games this week. We've got the Senators versus the Blues, the Kraken versus the Senators, and the Blackhawks versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Blues. This is a four to one Sens victory. Sens goals are scored by Tans. Josh Norris, Brady Chuck, and Alex Formington. David Perron got the lone Blues goal. Shots were 27 23 for Ottawa. Ottawa outplayed St. Louis throughout this game. Both teams came out of the gate playing an up-tempo offensive game. However, Ottawa's play began to really shine as they were able to capitalize on the scoring chances to secure the W. So let's talk about Tim Stutzel, Tim. One goal, two assists for three points on two shots. And my only real comment here is that even though I thought he played a great game, I really noticed that he took his foot off the gas later in the game. Well, the other thing is... is and Ottawa definitely uh, took a lot of pressure off kind of around the 15 minute mark. And it was lucky that just St. Louis couldn't really get anything going either. Uh, one thing that was just very funny is that Brady Kachuk could have very well had a second goal there because he had that beautiful shot in tight come off the crossbar. And Stutzler rung one off the crossbar from the same spot. He did. I mean, the, the first two shots of the game went off the post. Yeah. So this was the, after a, having a game stolen from them in against Vegas in Vegas and uh, the weird ass game that they played against the Coyotes. This is an effort the Sens needed and they looked great. Absolutely. Now, I do want to talk about Ray Chuck now, given that you did just bring it up. One goal on five shots. I do agree with you. He should have had two in this one. But that shot that hit the post, like, talk about an absolute bullet. Yeah. On the first shot he of the game, too. Yeah. It hits the post. And it's just a beautiful play, too, just to get himself open. Nora sees him. Bing, bang, boom. Good to go. Actually, if we want to talk about Josh Norris, his power play goal to, which ended up being the game winner to get Ottawa up 2-1, that invigorated the team. And it was, it was from the office. It was. I mean, three words easily sum it up. Straight cash, homie. Straight cash. 
And it was so bizarre to watch that after this power play, Ottawa just continues to play as if they're on the power play where they basically keep St. Louis hemmed into their end for about two minutes. And I've never really seen the sense play like that this year, just this very aggressive, strong possession play. It is true. It is true. Now, I do want to talk about Anton Forsberg for a second, Tim, because he had 22 saves, a 0.957 save percentage. The guy made some key saves early on and overall thought he played fantastic. Yep. And besides the Perron goal, which was a really nice goal, Anton Forsberg played another good game. Uh, St. Louis probably should have had another goal on the board, but Anton Forsberg robbed him. And if you're getting goaltending like that, you're probably you're probably looking to win. Now, the final guy I want to talk about here, Tim, is Colin White with two assists and one shot. While he didn't score, I thought he had had himself a nice game, and it kind of was just kind of quiet. Well, that's the big thing about Colin White this season is he's really matured into kind of an ideal two-way center. And I wouldn't be surprised if you could slot him in on a wing and just get even more production out of him. We're talking about a guy who has, he has three points in his last five games and uh, he had five in his first five back from injury and he's looked, he's looked very good. And it's encouraging to see him continue to play well. So Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on this game before we head off into the Kraken versus Senators? It was a good game by Ottawa and uh, we hope to see more of it. Kraken versus Senators. This is a four to three Senators overtime victory. Kraken goals were scored by Jared McCann, Ryan Donato, and Mason Appleton. Sens goals were scored by Josh Norris with two, plus the OT winner, Brady Chuck, and Parker Kelly. Shots were 33 27 for Seattle. A somewhat even game overall. Ottawa, for the majority of this game, outplayed Seattle, taking a three nothing lead before the Kraken tied it up at three, all with garbage goals. However, Ottawa would come out victorious with a Josh Norris one timer. In OT, and let's talk about the man of the hour, Josh Norris. Two goals on three shots. And let me tell you, God, that first goal was nice. Again. Oh, oh nice. It's from the office. Fuck, he's going to be so expensive. Yeah, but aren't you glad that we have a player like that? Yes. I am glad that he's working out the way that he has. Like, here's the thing. Josh Norris for Eric Carlson straight up would have been a one trade for Ottawa at this point. That we got Stutzler with that on top of that. Holy hell. Oh, I know. It's so good. It's so great to see a trade for Ottawa that really panned out. Now, another guy that really panned out in this game, Tim, and I actually want to talk about Parker Kelly first. One goal on three shots and that wrist shot that's a wrist shot that would make Joe Sackett proud. Like, that's the thing about Parker Kelly is I do not expect that sort of shot out of him for him to have the presence of mind to kind of clear out some space for himself. Then just instead of like stopping up and waiting for someone to come or just go for the slapper, he just gets that nice wrist shot, picks his place and gets it. That was, that was fantastic. It was. And the final guy that I have 
I want to make a comment here, Tim. Brady to Chuck. One goal, one assist for two points on one shot. It's a classic Brady goal. One more can you say? Yeah, yeah. Nope. Uh, he was making <laughs> Grubauer's night. Sorry, Chris Dreiger's night as miserable as possible. And he was he was in the crease chatting all night, just doing Brady things. Uh, and the Ottawa Senators probably played, I would say, 52 great minutes of hockey. And then just kind of after the McCann goal, they just kind of disappeared until tie game. And that's one of the things that DJ Smith really, really needs to get through to with this team is you, you got to keep it. You can't just turtle. You can't just turtle. And once the goals start going in, you have to do whatever you can to just get some of that momentum back. I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Did you say he needs to girdle? He can't dirtle. What the hell is dirtle? Uh, it's a slang term for just kind of roping, rope a dope it out. Oh. Like kind of fool around, not really do stuff. Okay, then. Now we're going to head off into the third and final game of the evening. Blackhawks versus Senators is a 6-3 to three Blackhawks victory. Blackhawks goals are recorded by Jonathan James at 2, Caleb Jones at 2, Sam Lafferty, and Dylan Strill. Senators goals are recorded by Connor Brown. Hot Sam show And Nick Paul. Shots were 28-23 for Chicago. Ottawa looked good in the first. Chicago dominated after that. This is a really weird game. And basically, yeah, Ottawa dominated the first period and just made that Chicago power play look like it was completely ineffectual. Then all of a sudden, Jonathan Tapes revives his corpse to pot two real quick ones. Then, yeah, just Ottawa kind of falls off. I think uh, to even really talk about this game, Parker Kelly lands a really big borderline hit on Connor Murphy. Yeah, and that's really the one big comment that came out of this. Because honestly, at first, I thought it was his knee. Because when he went down, he wasn't really moving. I'm thinking, oh, fuck. Okay, did he hurt his knee? Until I realized he hit his head. I with how long he just was still on the ice. I I was worried about the worst, but the thing is you could tell that like it was a reckless hit by Parker Kelly, but there was no intent to injure. It's like one of those things where I'm surprised he didn't get a fine for that, but I'm glad he didn't get suspended because you could see the hockey play there. There was a legal hit there until the last minute. So it was very, and Parker Kelly tried to guide Connor Murphy away from the boards. So you can kind of see that there, it wasn't an intent to injure. There was no intent to hit it high. It was just a, a really un, unfortunate play. Parker Kelly maybe shouldn't have been going as fast as he was into the boards. Well, it didn't even look like he was going super fast. He kind of looked like he picked up a little speed, then he just kind of glided into him. Yeah. It was really, it's just this incredibly unfortunate play that I think was on, was a shade reckless. But I'm glad that there's no suspension. 100%.
Now let's talk but, about Thomas Shabbat, Tim. One goal on three shots. What a blaster. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah, and you always you always remember that just yeah, well, I have to remember that Thomas Shabbat has an incredible shot on him. One player who just had, I want to say it, one of his worst games as an Ottawa senator, Nikita Zaitsev. Two of this, I'd say two of the six goals were directly his fault. And another, and the third, he probably could have stopped. Well, I mean, the only really little guy I want to talk about here, Tim, is Connor Brown with one goal and two shots. Well, the other thing that's a little sad is Nick Paul managed to nod it up just for Forsberg to let in a softie on Lafferty. So, like, Nick Paul, I thought, had a pretty decent game. Yeah. So what you're saying, Tim, is that Sam Lafferty went down Baker Street and popped one in. Yeah, pretty much. And Colin White probably got robbed by Flurry on the power play. But again, with the way that Ottawa played, they didn't really deserve any good luck. Yeah. And now we're getting sensed by the Coyotes. Yeah. It, it's another time where we piled 40 shots, more than 40 shots on Scott Wedgwood. And he has just been Vesna, Vesnia tier quality goaltending. Like, this is the counterpart, the duel to that game in Carolina where Forsberg sends hurricanes. Yeah. I can't believe it, Tim. The one time that we're famous and the sends are going to get sensed. I mean, and them's the breaks, Tay. Yep, yep, yep. So I think, actually, I do want to talk about one more thing because you did mention Nick Paul. Now, we're got out this week that Nick Paul and the Ottawa Senators are talking contracts right now, and yep. the Sens have given him a final offer. No real details have come out. The only detail that it's a three- to four-year contract. And basically what I'm getting is that the Sens don't want to overpay for a role player. Which, fair. That is very fair. So, honestly... I don't know. Maybe we might be talking about Nick Paul being traded next week. If he says no to the contract, he seems to like, a, like legitimately, he seems like the kind of guy who wants to stick around. Yeah. And like the thing that was like, do you pay Nick Paul more than $2 million? I don't think so. No, no, actually I would say you pay more than three. I say no. Yeah. Nick Paul, it's tough to get a read on like what a fair salary for Nick Paul is just because of all kind of the weird stuff he does. But he just, he is kind of a third line role player. Yeah, but he he's have, a lovely guy. Very lovely. You got to think long term here. Like, d- will he be able to fit into our team, right? Exactly. And if you don't want to overpay on that, because then that takes away your ability to get a nice contract for Norris or a nice contract for Stutzla. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on these games if you want to head off to the close for another episode. Yeah, let's do her. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play. 
We're also on Twitter at Third Night Pleasure Twitter handle. Tim is at M91 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8 W Y T E Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you want to give us some feedback on us becoming famous through Sportsnet, shoot us an email, third plus plus at gmail.com. And yes, I did see the Coyotes just score, Tim. You didn't need to shake your head in the video. Yeah. It's just weird hop gets on a coyote stick and that's that's just kind of the game but also doesn't help that five goals on 15 shots forsberg's sticking around next season isn't he yeah he's gonna have to man jesus christ what happened to our goaltending like jesus the last season, uh, we had the gold chart upside down. This time, we had the gold depth chart upside down again. This has been, uh, this has been something. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to end up getting Shane Wright, aren't we? That'd be kind of funny. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So... Well, I know we're not going to be talking about games next week, Tim, but I should let the listeners know that we got four games for this week. Obviously, tonight's loss was the Arizona Coyotes. Wednesday, we'll be playing the Columbus Blue Jackets. Friday, playing the Philadelphia Flyers at home. And Saturday, we will be playing Le Canadien in Montreal. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. And we're talking about none of those games because we've got the 2022 NHL trade deadline coming up on next week's episode. Until next week, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jancy. Go Sens, guys. Woo! What are you holding on to? Yelling up at the stars above you. What are you holding on to? Say it.